This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Mindsetters, welcome back. Just finished up a phenomenal interview with Ellie Perlman. And this was a fun episode because Ellie is a multifamily investor uh, who comes from a really cool background. She's been an attorney for a long time, has an MBA from MIT. But what was really most interesting about this interview, one of the, the key points that we get into is this whole idea of deciding, of making a decision and sticking to it, of deciding what it is that you're going to do in your life and moving forward uh, as if that thing is a foregone conclusion, as if it's done. And we get into a little bit of this concept of the immigrant mentality, of how you can apply that yourself, even if you were born and raised in the States, how you can take advantage of some of the greatness that is here. So as always, if you guys love this, please make sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And if you're the kind of person who likes to help others and you find some value in this episode, I encourage you to share it with your friends and family on social or via text message so that they too can get some of the value in returns. Without you guys, there'd be no purpose for us to record this. And we really wanna make sure that we're putting out something that can really help improve and change people's lives. So, and we can do that one person at a time and with every share, we can help reach one more person. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I am very excited to have Ellie Perlman in the studio today. How are you doing, Ellie? I'm doing great, Stephen. How are you? I am doing phenomenal. Ellie is the founder of Blue Lake Capital and has over 10 years of experience in real estate investing, law, and property management. And she started her career in Israel as a commercial real estate lawyer, leading commercial transactions for Israel's largest development company. And now Ellie owns, alongside with her partners, both passively and actively over 2,000 units across the U.S. worth over $250 million. She holds an MBA from MIT and is the host of the That Really Happened Unbelievable Real Estate Stories podcast. Um, you, re- you excited to get into some things today, Ellie? Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. I like it. Well, obviously, you've, you're doing some pretty cool things. I think a lot of folks are going to be able to learn a lot from your experience here. But why don't we start out by taking a look back at earlier in your life? What events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? Um, I think pretty much my entire childhood. So I was um, the oldest of, of four kids and I grew up to a very harsh reality where um, um, my mom couldn't really take care of us and my dad was unemployed for many years. And so money was a big issue. And, you know, going through this whole experience um, and being, you know, ridiculed by, by my classmates as the poor kid uh, really... Mm-hmm put a, a lot of, uh, really influenced me because from a very young age, from the, from, you know, when I can remember myself, I kept saying, I'm not going to be in that place and I'm going to be old enough to take care of myself. This is not going to be my reality. I refuse to let it be my reality. And, um, that's basically every decision that I've made since I could take, you know, decision, I could make decisions on my own. Every decision was basically designed to put me on a different path than I was when mm-hmm. I grew up. So um, I used to clean synagogues when I was 11 to help my parents make some some money. And I remember telling myself, when I'm going to have kids one day, they're never, ever going to need 
to clean places to make money. And it, when you were in, in that, uh, when you're experiencing that, it's not really hard as it sounds, but it, it, it definitely, you know, I knew that I wasn't like everyone else. I knew that we were special in that regard. So receiving, um, you know, clothes and food for, for donations, that was, I knew that we were not like everyone else in the neighborhood. So that's kind of the, the this is the, what shaped my reality and, and my mindset actually. Well, that's got to be a big impact. And I know a little bit about what it's like to grow up without a lot or, you know, have money be a big focus of challenge or problem. But tell me, you know, you're in a position that's very different. It sounds like, you know, that was a driver for you to live the life that you're now living. How does that manifest or how does that play into your day to day now that you are a person who has has means and, you know, has, uh, is earning a great living? Yeah, it's, it's a very good question, Stephen. I think, um, if you start at a certain point in your life, I don't think it, it ever leaves you. It doesn't matter how much money I'm going to have. It doesn't matter. You know, I don't really need to work a day in my life at this point, but I choose to do it because it's always in the back of my mind. I can fall back to that place. I never, ever want to experience that again. And so it's not a scarcity mentality, but I think it's, a, it's you know, not taking anything for granted and, and understanding that today you're living in a certain way and that all can change because you've experienced it. It's real. You know how it feels. And that's always the driver to keep growing, to keep you know, expanding and working hard, even if you don't really have to work hard or, or work at all. So it's something that never, ever leaves you. Never. Yeah, it's it's left it's left such a lasting impression that it's still driving you today. When you first got to that point where you had money, where you went from this place of I I grew up without it, now I've got it. I feel like I'm at a point where I would consider me in a good position. I'm talking about you. When you got to that point, did anything change or what was going through your head at that point when you're like Wow, I've I've kind of made it. Well, every dollar that I made, I invested it back in my company, Blue Lake, because I knew that I, I have. So let's say I have an extra hundred k when I just started. You know, you start receiving very nice checks because real estate can be really good if you know what you're doing. And so you think, okay, I can take this money and and buy expensive things and go on vacations and do all the things I, I've never done, or I can invest it back in a company, hire more people, invest in marketing, um, and basically make sure that these 100K, 200, half a million, whatever it is, is going to multiply over years. It takes time. But that that was kind of my mindset. And I think also going to business school, you know, I went to MIT. Um, I moved to the States about five years ago. And so that's, I, I moved to Cambridge. I spent there two two years, which were um, the, the coldest years in my life. Uh, and and basically looking at things as, you know, everything I see in a business context. So if if I receive money, the initial thought that goes through my head is how can I use this money to grow my company even further? Because $100,000 now can be gone in, in a week, in a month, in six months. But if you put it back in the company, then that can grow. You can grow those 100K to a lot more. It just takes a little bit more time and discipline. So that's how I experienced, you know, the, transa the tra transition from 
having nothing to having something. And, and also, you know, Mm -hmm. this podcast is all about mindset and mindset was a huge driver in my growth and in my success. I've decided at a very young age that I'm going to make it. I just decided I'm going to make it. And that's it. It There was no question. There was no hesitance or, or, I just knew I made it um, from from a wishful thinking to a reality. When you say something enough, you start believing in it. Your your surroundings, the people around you believe in that. And you start making decisions and taking actions that are corresponding, that are basically in line with what you started saying. So when I said, I'm not going to be poor, I'm going to be very successful one day. Guess what? Well, of course, years later, but I'm exactly here because I kept telling that to myself. So that's kind of the mindset. And, and so it's the same mindset with, with money. You've got to get yourself, listeners, you've got to get yourself, you got to take away um, from Ellie's comments here, you got to get yourself to a point of certainty where you've made a clear decision that this is the way it's going to be. Because I hear about this from so many investors, so many clients, so many people in the industry who say, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. I kind of want to do that. I, you know, I think, you know, multifamily would be great, or I want to flip a house or the difference is between I want to flip a house, right? I'm thinking about doing this and I am doing this. You could hear it in my voice. You could hear it in the the language that I use. That's the difference between the people who succeed and fail. The other big thing I want to point out here for folks is Ellie is obviously at a, a different level than some of you guys. And maybe you're thinking to yourself when she says, oh, if I just have an extra $100,000 laying around, I'm going to do something with it. Now, most of you guys might not have an extra $100,000, but the point is when you get to that place, whatever you're thinking is a little bit of money, another person is thinking 10 times that is a little bit of money. So as you grow, your mindset has grown just like Ellie's has here. So tell us a little bit about what it is that you do. What's your primary focus as an investor uh, today? Yeah, absolutely. So I buy apartment buildings across the US, mainly in Texas, Florida, and Georgia. Um, It's a, a pretty pretty uh, not easy business loan, but pretty, uh, you know, easy to understand business plan, which uh, basically we purchase a property, we renovate the units, we make it look nicer, maybe exterior paint, maybe we add some more flowers. And then we, we basically increase the valuation, the value of the property, because we increase income, we reduce expenses, and then we sell the property after three to five years. So you're doing value add multifamily and you're specifically doing apartments? Yeah, specifically and only apartments. And what was it that brought you into this space? Because I know for many years you were in development, you are an attorney, you're, you got your MBA, now you're in the States. Tell me, why did you end up landing here when you've seen so many different uh, asset classes and niches? Yeah, absolutely. I think that when it comes to multifamily, the first thing is that I can understand it. So commercial space, I may or may not understand it. Almost everyone was or still is a tenant. So uh, I know what tenant what tenants need, what they think, what will be attractive to them. And I also think that demand is always going to be there. So when I started my career in real estate, uh, well, after I was a, um, a property manager and a lawyer, I, I basically said I wanted to be an investor because when I was a lawyer, I saw what my clients were doing and I knew that I was on the wrong side of the table. I was, you know, helping them close huge deals, but I wanted to be in their shoes. And that's what I did. Not in development because it didn't work for me because I'm more conservative, maybe in a few more years, Mm -hmm. 
But right now, I'm focusing on multifamily because they have a tendency of, of having a positive cash flow from day one, which is the, the type of properties that I'm focused on. And so it's easy to understand there's always demand for multifamily properties and their cat they have a tendency of cash flowing if you're buying at the right price in the right market. And so those main three reasons is why I ended up in multifamily. I also understood, and that's the last and fourth and last um, reason, I understood that once you buy it, yes, you need to manage the asset, but you hire people to run the property on a day, on a, you know, every day. And so unlike flipping homes, even if you're not working, if I want to take a two week vacation and not do much, which I don't really do today, I work every day, but if I wanted to, <laughs> the properties are still making, there's, there's still a very solid passive component to it. Whereas if you're, Flipping homes, if you're not working for two weeks, you're not going to make money. And so unless you have a very solid team and you have a CEO that manages your entire operations. And that's what also attracted me to it. So while I sleep, I have tenants pay, you know, paying every month on their rents. So for all the listeners out there, if, if any of those things are speaking to you about the reasons that she chose this, now you can understand how I can fit that outcome of being able to have passive income, being able to be in a pretty conservative asset class. You can connect those to your purpose and your why, and you can start moving forward on those. But I want to talk a little bit, Ellie, about when you moved here, you moved from Israel and you came uh, to the United States just a few years ago. Talk to me about the challenge of getting started in a totally new place because I hear excuses from people who have been in their city or are investing out of state and they have some laundry list of reasons why they can't do it. Talk to me about how you overcame some of those challenges because obviously you're killing it. Oh, thank you. I don't know about killing it. I'm, I'm still working on it. But when I'm, I just, I've decided to move to the U.S. because I learned back in, in college about the self-made men or for me, it's a self-made woman concept. And it was kind of hard to do that in Israel for various reasons I'm not going to get into. And I've, I've decided that I'm going to make it big and I'm going to do it in, in the U.S. I'm going to work hard and make it happen. And for me, the way that I've decided to make the transition and make it easier for me is actually to acquire higher education. And that's why... I wanted to go. I applied to Harvard, MIT, Stanford, all those, you know, big names. Cause I thought if I'm going to a new country, probably getting that, you know, track record of, you know, that type of uh, recognition is going to be very helpful. And I've learned a lot about the American culture. I've met a lot of people actually from there's almost no continent that I don't have, you know, people that are my classmates because the MBA program is very international. And so that's how I was, mm -hmm. um, I was able actually to, to not face so many uh, challenges. I think one of them could be a, a cultural. Well, it one. sounds like you really put yourself, I, sorry to interrupt, but it sounds like you really put yourself in an environment where you're surrounded by other people so that you could quickly get, uh, assimilated yeah. and starting to meet other people who are movers and shakers so that when you did decide to move forward in this business, you already had a network. You had yeah. built one through through that 
education and other people could do the same, whether that's going to college or a mastermind or a group or something in between? Yeah, absolutely. Even though I have to say that none of my classmates became my investors or part of my network. So I've started sure. after I graduated. And I keep saying, if I came from a different country and built within a few years a very substantial network and solid network, there's no reason that you won't be able to do that especially if you've lived here your entire lives. And I think also part of it is also the immigrant mentality. So you add that to my, mm. um, you know, my background growing up in a certain, you know, neighborhood and the immigrant mentality and my type of personality. Yes, I'm, I'm a very hard worker, but I think I came from, from nothing and came from a very low point and I came from a different country. So I think there's really not many really good excuses why you can do it. You just need to immerse yourself into it. You gotta, you gotta take the first step, and you gotta have a plan. I had a very solid and detailed plan, and I followed it, and that really helped me, you know, get to where I am today. Yeah, I well, I think it's it's such an inspiration, and I hope that all of our listeners can take away, you know, from your story how it's possible for them to move forward and do any of this stuff. Now they might start coming up with limiting beliefs because they hear that you went to a fancy school or you. You were an attorney or this or that. But all of that is exactly the reason that you decided to succeed. You, you went and did all those things so that you could live the life that you wanted to live and everyone has that potential. So what I'm really curious to talk to you a little bit more about is what do you think makes creates that immigrant mentality? How could somebody else follow in the footsteps of someone like you or someone like Neil Bawa or the plenty of immigrants who come to this country and become multimillionaires within their first generation because they come with such grit and hunger. What do you think goes into that mentality? And, and maybe a couple of us can try to recreate that for ourselves. That's a very, very interesting question, Stephen. I think the first, the, I think the main thing is that we don't take it for granted. So I'm not saying that Americans do, but if I were, if I were born here and I saw prosperity around me, then I would have taken it for granted. But when I came here, when I'm sure it was the same for Neil Bawa, all the amazing opportunities that I have here, I don't have, all those doors are open and they're just waiting for you to walk in, in you know, through those doors. I don't have those doors in where I came from in Israel. Some of them are shut and sometimes the door is not even there. So I can't even go in and fight, mm -hmm. you know, the, the lock to open it. And so I think... If someone wants to be inspired, then you can keep, you know, listening to to people like myself. You know, I have a, as I mentioned, a podcast called um, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. You can hear Neil Bawas and he has a lot of, you know, content out there and start to understand, I think, where we come from in, in our point of view. But I don't take anything for granted. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I say, I, I tell myself it's, I have to kick myself because I can't believe that this is actually happening. I'm so grateful for all the opportunities and the fact that, you know, I'm working with investors and they trust me. And because of their trust, I was able to build, you know, th this company. And so I think just looking at everything from a fresh perspective and understand that whatever you grew up with, people didn't have that. And I think that understanding, trying to see things through our eyes can really help people who were born and, and raised in the States. Well, there's really something about the process of deciding to move to a new place, whether you're moving to a new city or a new country. 
a lot goes into that. And I think one of the big takeaways for me is that there is this idea of making a decision and sticking to it. And when you move across the world, you are making a decision and you've got to have a lot of certainty that that decision is going to play out. And then on top of it, you're putting so much energy behind that because now you've for all the people who doubted you, you've got to go and prove them wrong that it was the right choice for you to go and do this, that that you're going to step out of what's so common. And for a lot of people who grew up with the kind of business mentality that we have in the United States, the access to opportunity, yeah. when it's everywhere, people forget that maybe it's not everywhere. So I would really encourage people to try to think to themselves, well, how am I really taking for granted this lifestyle and what's right in front of me? And how could I instead try to put on the glasses of an immigrant and think, how am I going to decide without a doubt that I'm going to go forward and move forward and do something of some real success? Yeah, absolutely. And I want to add one more point to that. And I think it's an excellent point that you're making. I think there's something to be said about doubters and they're all around us. Most of those of the people that are doubting your dreams, your potential, your goals, they don't do it because they're bad people or they're envious. They just, they speak from their own insecurities. And mm. there's a reason why not everyone is a millionaire because most people who can, or you know what, it's not even about money. It's about being successful. And you set the success criteria. But most people, if you ask them, they're not going to define themselves as successful because they're mostly, in my opinion, is because they're doubting themselves. And so... People, I think, are reflecting its, you know, their own insecurities and past failures on on you. And so I have a little story about that. Before I came to the States, um, in, back in Israel, I had a mentor and he taught me um, how to reach out to people, how to speak with them, especially in, in the legal world where, where you kind of need uh, some uh, governmental officials to, to approve all kinds of requests. And I've learned how to do that by just being nice and approachable and, and change my mindset about that. Um, but basically I, I shared my, my plan with him and I said, Hey, I'm thinking to move to the States and, and start buying real estate, you know, maybe get into college or, or not college. Cause I had a, a college degree, but get into university and then start building a real estate company. And I'm never going to forget it. He looked at me and he said, you're never going to make it. And this is someone who really believed in me and, and was very close to me. And that was kind of a shock to me. And I said, what do you mean? Why wouldn't I make it here? And he looked at me and he said, you're not a white American. Only those people make it there. Your chances are so slim. And that was the last time I've spoken with him because I realized okay, I'm looking at your life and at his life and I'm not sure that he sees himself, you know, as a successful guy. So he, maybe he is, it's a reflection of what he thinks. But when I hear that, when I hear doubters, I, I isolate myself from those, you know, uh, people and, and thoughts because they're not productive. And even though he wanted to protect me in his mind, he didn't want me to go and, and fail and, and spend time and money but because I've decided I'm, I'm going to make it, it was not, he was not no longer the right fit for me, especially as a mentor. And so that was it. I decided to do it anyways. And, and this is where I am today. 
Well, it's it's difficult to understand sometimes when we're in that situation, we're sitting across from somebody who we know, like, and trust. Maybe they love us. Uh, maybe they're family. Maybe they're a friend. Um, and they're looking at it through their lens. They're looking at it through this lens of a set of beliefs uh, and values that they have. And his belief said, hey, you can only make it in the United States if you're a white American. And you can only make it if maybe you're a white male. But the the truth is like that anchor was holding him back. Right. And by him telling you that, he could hook that anchor onto you and you it could hold you back. And I'm I'm really proud of you for being able to step away from something like that. And so for all of you listeners out there, there's going to be people all around you. There's going to be family members who are going to tell you, you shouldn't do this, or you can't do this, you're going to fail. Or, and, and the truth is, maybe they're right, but most likely they're wrong. It's because they're coming from this viewpoint, a set of perspectives and beliefs that say, you know, this is the way the world is, but we've got to break through that. And the way you do that is by surrounding yourself with people who are believers so that you can use that as, you know, jet fuel to propel you forward and to prove those people wrong. And if they, you might even be able to be that person to them where now they can see, oh, wow, it's possible for her. And I know that's been the case for me. I had to attach myself to people who are very successful. And through that, I created new beliefs. And now I'm able to pass some of those beliefs on to others. So I really appreciate you being open about that. Because it's hard when somebody you care so much about says something that's frankly hurtful. Yeah, it's absolutely right. And the truth is, all the people that actually supported my dreams and my goals to to build a, a, a billion dollar company, they were all millionaires. They were all very successful. So you can see because they they saw that they could do it, they, their mindset is different. And this is exactly like you said, you have to surround yourself by people who have that right mindset. And when people ask, so how do I do that? Where do I find those people? I would say, start online, go to forums like in Bigger Pockets, which I'm not affiliated with. Um, but you will find a lot of people with the right mindset, a lot of investors that live in that you know online arena. Start going to conferences. You will meet a lot of dreamers, a lot of people with no experience, some experience and a lot of experience, but they're all motivated because they, if they got out the door, got on the plane and, and flew to a conference, it means that they believe in themselves. And when you start meeting one person, it's going to open up your network and that's, and they're going to introduce you to another one. And you're going to live in those um, great circle of people with great mindsets. And that's the way to do it. And that's how I did it. I started going to every possible conference on the first 12, 15 months uh, when my business just, you know, after I just started it, that's how I met a lot of people. That's how I met you at a conference also. Exactly. So, and, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. And then maybe next month you will introduce me to someone else or I'll introduce you to someone else. And that's how you build and grow your network with the right people. I couldn't have said it better myself, so I won't. Um, so from a success standpoint, you mentioned something earlier and you talked about the definition of success. You talked about money versus versus whatever that is for people. Talk to me, how would you define success and what is success to you? So success is probably a combination of two factors. There's a monetary factor and this is, again, this is what works for me. And that's how, because I came from no money, for me, having some or a lot of money is 
part of the success formula, but the other part is my happiness. I was many times in my in my life I, when I started having some money, I was unhappy. So having money with no happiness, it's it's not where I want to be. I mean, what does it matter if you have a million dollars in the bank or eight hundred thousand dollars or a hundred? If you're unhappy, it, it doesn't really matter. And so happiness as part of it, I can't tell you what's the, the ratio of happiness to, to money, but it has to have some, um, some monetary factor, some financial factors. And so, and, and that's part of it. And the other one is happiness, which means I have to love what I do. And when I do get burned out and everyone does, then I I need to have the ability to step away for an hour, half a day, two days and decompose and then come back. And that's why the financial target is important because that allows me to hire people. So when I need a breather and everyone does, and, and I don't believe that it doesn't matter how much you love real estate, you always have to take that time off. So when I need this time off so I can come back with renewed energy, then I'm able to do it because I do have the means to hire people that can step in and, and take my place while I'm gone. That's, that's such a great definition. And talk to me, what are some of the keystone habits, the things that you do on a daily or weekly basis that help lead you to success and living that happy life? The habits. Well, um, I have to say that for me, every day is a Monday, which means that I like to work every day. It's not a burden. When it, Some weekends when I feel it's a burden, then I just don't touch the computer. But many times I will allocate one, two, three hours and work. And it's actually the best time to work because you, you're not bombarded by emails that are distracting you when you're in the middle of, of something. And so that's one thing. Um, another habit, I think just for me, I like to change the scenery. So I don't feel like I'm in the same place all the time. So sometimes I'll work from home, sometimes from the office. Sometimes I'll meet with a client at the coffee shop or potential investor. Sometimes I'll be traveling and speaking at conferences like the uh, Best Ever Conference. I don't know when this one is going to be aired, but there's a Best Ever Conference that I'm speaking at. Um, that's going to happen February 20th. I believe until the 22nd. So I make sure that I'm always in the move, that I'm always changing my environment to make it more interesting. And it just worked for me. The third thing is uh, setting up very specific goals for, you know, this, these are the most important things I need to do today. So the night before, when I have clarity, whenever everyone comes down, everything comes down, no more emails and phone calls. I'm able to go through that day and say, okay, these are the one, two, the top three things I have to get done that, that are needed to be to get done tomorrow. And then I have also goals for the week and for the month and the year, and it keeps me on track. Otherwise, you're just, you can get lost in working and not, you're not going to feel the satisfaction of working hard because you can't see the light if you can't have a certain uh, targets and, and kind of basically just cross them off your list. Hey, that that's that's some really really good habits there. Taking a break is such an under uh, appreciated thing, but it's what gives us the energy to keep going and moving forward at the kind of pace that you've obviously been able to do over the last few years. So I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. So we've made it to the growth rapid fire round where the questions are quick, but the answers don't need to be. So tell me, what's a book that's impacted your life the most, or one you're excited about right now? Um, so there's actually two books. One is that the one that I'm starting to, to write right now. Um, but the other one is the one thing by Gary Keller. 
from Keller and Williams. So it's basically something that I've tried to, to implement in my daily routine, which means that the first three to four hours in the day are blocked and you're dedicating that portion of your day to do one thing. Now, what is that one thing? It depends and it changes. So you have to ask yourself, what is the one thing that by doing so, but that by doing it, everything else will be easier or other things are going to become unnecessary. And once you answer that question, you know where you want to focus. And Gary Keller, who built an empire, basically followed that rule after years where his business were not really taken off. And he was looking into his business and, and asked, why am I not growing the way that I want? And then he realized I'm too scattered. I'm doing too many things. So I can't really focus on one thing and really drill down into that one thing and get really great results. And that's what he, what he was doing. So just, he blocked the first, probably from eight to until noon and didn't do anything, didn't answer emails, didn't set up any calls, just worked on that one thing. One of my favorite books, if you guys haven't read it, I highly encourage you to go out and get it today. So from an inspiration standpoint, who are some of your mentors and how do you look at going out and finding great mentors in your life? Sure. So Joe Phyllis is my mentor, and I would say that the best way to find mentors is, again, go to conferences, hear people speak. You'll, you'll find mentors, and, and I have a mentorship program as well. You'll find those mentors on stage. You'll be able to see who you like and who speaks to you, literally. Um, and the way to, in my opinion, from my experience, the way to find the right mentor is, first of all, make sure when you're looking for a mentor that you have access, direct access to that mentor, that it's not a mentor that will outsource the one-on-one -on -one mentoring to other sub-mentors um, or coaches because someone who you know bought two, three, five, 7,000 units is not the same as someone who bought only 200 units. Um, so that was my number one criteria. And also look at what they're strong at because every mentoring program has a different focus. One mentoring program is really good when it comes to raising capital. One emphasizes underwriting. Another one emphasizes other aspects of the business, such as asset management. So everyone has the thing that they're really strong at. And for me, I... I knew that capital raising would be the strongest part because I love talking to people and networking and meeting new people. So I, f I, I found a mentor that really, that, that was his strongest suit. And in addition, he was scaling really fast in a short period of time. Only in within a two to three years, uh, he was able to really scale. And now I think he's been in the business for about seven years now. Um, but I looked at him and I said, okay, I want to learn from him and scale. And that's how I was, I was just learning from this guy. And that's how I was able to scale fast versus someone with, you know, it took him over a decade to get where he is today, which is not bad, but it's not what I was looking for. I was looking to scale. I was looking to take my education mm -hmm. from MIT about how to, you know, start companies and implement it in my business. And that's, that's basically what I teach in my mentoring program, how to not only find deals, underwrite deals and, and raise capital, but how to build a company and scale it. So that's the focus of my mentoring program. So again, each program has a different focus. You have to understand if this focus speaks to you and if it's important to you. I love that. And from a purpose standpoint, what drives you to live your best life every day? Taking care of my family. 
Um, I, I don't have kids yet, so I have the luxury of focusing on, on my uh, extended family members. And there's nothing more rewarding than taking care of the people who were there for you your entire life. And when they need help, you're able to help them, um, which is something huge, which, you know, helping my family was one of the things that drove me to success and helped me mm-hmm. applying to business schools and, and to law schools over and over again until I got in. So it wasn't easy. Uh, For all of you, you said earlier, you know, people think, oh, you were a lawyer, you went to MIT. Hey, that was not easy. It took me years to get in. And I I took the gym at multiple times until I got in. And so I was, it wasn't easy. I was by far not the smartest person at MIT. In fact, I remember one of the classes, and maybe this is off off topic, I'm sorry, but when the the professor, he explained something really complicated and and the formula was starting at one size of the, of the, of the board and ended on the other side. And then he asked, who did not understand this? And I didn't. And I raised my hand and I saw that I was the only person that raised my hand. Well, in a classroom of 150 people, I can promise you, I was not the only one who, who did not understand, but everyone was, you know, a little embarrassed to, to show that. So definitely a humbling experience. Um, and, but 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 that's and, and I, I think I'm I'm kind of off track from your original question. Um, but it takes time and dedication to get to where you want to get to. If you just believe and and you just just decide that you're doing it and just do it as if you can get in, and that's it. So true. It's so very true. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed this. Uh, where can people find out more about you or get in touch? Absolutely. So people can find me either by emailing me um, at Ellie, which is E-L-L-I-E, at ellieperlman.com. Um, they can also go to my website, ellieperlman.com, and they can download there a free guide of the, the five most critical components every investor should be looking at when, when evaluating a deal. So they can get that free um, guide on, on my homepage. Um, even in Google, you can Google my name and, and you'll find ways, multiple ways of you know, contacting me. Wonderful. Well, we'll include all that in the show notes. And thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. And I look forward to the next time we get to hang out. All right. Absolutely, Stephen. Thank you so much. Thank you. What an incredible episode. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed putting it together. And I want to tell you about this incredible program that we're now releasing. We're putting it out live and I want you to be a part of it. If you happen to be a high-level real estate investor who's really pushing things to the next level, who want to get the most out of their business, they want to take consistent action on a regular basis and work from a place of clarity so you actually can end up at the outcome that you originally got into this game for. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I know when I got into real estate investing, I had planned on doing this so that I could get passive cash flow. And I got distracted along the way. And I got distracted with things that were incredible and amazing. And I grew like crazy. But sometimes we got to get back to that core. What? are we doing this for and why are we doing this? And there's so many, there's so many things that we're learning in every single episode that we need to start applying in our daily basis every single day. So what I've put together and I've brought together an incredible mindset coach who has been doing this for years and years, has 25,000 hours, previously worked with the Tony Robbins organization and many others, and is going to be delivering and training us. He's agreed to do this in a small group setting. Um, So 
I know a ton of people are going to be interested and there's very limited spots available. This is not false scarcity. We're only going to take 15 people for the first group. So please make sure you head over to the website, theinvestormindset.com slash action. So you can find out a little bit more and add your name to the wait list so that when we're ready to pull you in, we can start having that conversation and decide if you're a great fit. I know the power of this stuff. I've invested tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars in order to grow myself and my business to the next level. And that's exactly why I'm so grateful that we're going to be bringing this out live and really making a big difference. So join us in this mini mastermind online, this program, and let's help do some incredible things together. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level. Thank you.